I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we come to God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and life-giving word. And you will find our text in John chapter 4 this morning. If you do not have your Bible with you, you can find uh, this text on page 889 on the Pew Bibles. Uh, But hear now as God speaks to you. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for, he, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum there was a official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did When he had come from Judea to Galilee, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you this morning asking for a blessing from your word, asking that your spirit would be its interpreter, that your spirit would apply it to our hearts and our lives so that we may give great glory to Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. If you've been with us the last uh, several studies in John's gospel, you will know that a common thread has been laid underneath the surface of this gospel uh, that informs several of these narratives that we have been studying Uh, It extends all the way back to John chapter 2 and verses 24 and 25. Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And this truth gets worked out in a variety of ways. We saw that truth get worked out in Nicodemus, And even in our last text with the Samaritan woman, as Jesus can see into her heart. And we find it even in this passage with the crowds coming to Jesus, seeking for signs and wonders. And we'll see it even get worked out in the weeks ahead. Uh, John is wanting to show that Jesus himself knows the hearts of men. And so we have this truth confirmed to us time and time again that Jesus is the omniscient Lord. He knows what's in the hearts of the crowds that gather around him. 
I spent most of my high school years uh, playing golf on the high school golf team. And one of the most frustrating uh, things we would often do, these routines that we would do in practice, is our coach would make us uh, go to the putting green first and put four tees around the hole that are about three feet from the hole. And we would have to make 25 putts in a row before we could go on to do something else. And you can imagine a bunch of high school boys just want to go to the driving range to hit their drivers as far as they possibly could. Um, And so we would have to do this routine that we all found as completely mundane, uh, something that we didn't understand the real reason behind it. It was so simple and basic. Why would our coach make us uh, do this time and time again? Uh, But we would often find when we'd play tournaments that if you were standing over a three-foot putt, you wanted that putt to be muscle memory. You wanted it to just be rote repetition uh, so that it became second nature to you. And when I think what John wants to build into muscle memory and all the readers of his gospel is the repetition of true and saving faith. We've returned to the theme several times already. Uh, that the reason why John wrote this gospel is that you would uh, believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he's the Messiah, and by believing in him, you would have eternal life. Uh, Why is this point so repetitive in John's gospel? Because I think we are all at risk in reading this gospel and missing it. That's why John speaks to it so clearly, so often, so consistently, And we find a group of people in this text that do miss it. The crowds that follow Jesus, they're seeking after signs and wonders. But we also find a man who does truly get it. That true and saving faith in Jesus Christ recognizes that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you have eternal life. And so in order to impress this main theme upon you, I want to put before you three different aspects of saving faith this morning. First, we want to see a sincere faith. At the beginning of the narrative, we are confronted with an apparent contradiction between verse 44 and verse 45. Look at the text. After the two days he departed for Galilee... For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So on one hand, Jesus is testifying that a prophet receives no honor in his hometown. But on the other hand, John is saying that the people gladly welcomed Jesus in Galilee. And so there are some who come along and say, look, here is a contradiction in the scriptures. Here is somewhere where you can cast doubt on the reliability of the scriptures because look at John just contradict himself. He said that Jesus would not receive honor, but yet he is getting it in Galilee. Well, I think we should be a little bit more charitable to John than just that. Uh, Because I I, I highly doubt that he would contradict himself from one sentence to the next. Uh, That would be really something for him to do that. And so what's the point that's being communicated here? Well, to get at it, 
uh, you must recognize the source of their welcome. They welcomed him because they had seen what he had done. It was not the words that he was speaking that drew their interest. No, it was the signs. It was the wonders that drew their attention. Yes, they honored the miracle worker Christ, but they weren't interested in the prophetic Christ. Yes, they wanted the show, but they didn't want the Savior. Yes, they wanted the sign, but not the thing signified. They wanted the sensation, not the salvation. In other words, they wanted the wonders, not the word. And that's what John is pointing out here. Jesus is testifying, I will not receive honor in my own hometown. And yet, it says, they gladly welcomed him because they saw what he had done at the feast. And so, you see, if you just jump down to verse 48, and that Jesus rebukes this kind of spirituality that is seeking after the signs. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Uh, he's responding to the official that we'll get to here in just a second. Uh, but that's said in the plural. He says, you all will not believe unless you see signs and wonders. Jesus knew their hearts. He needed no testimony about them. He knew that their faith was shallow. It wasn't sincere. They weren't coming to him to hear what he had to say. No, they were coming for the show. They were hoping that Jesus would give them some kind of entertainment, something that they could enjoy for the day. And this is a truth that we see often expressed in the pages of Scripture. In just a few chapters, in John chapter 6, we will see uh, these same crowds who had professed such enthusiasm over what Jesus was doing turn away because he spoke hard words that they could not believe. They didn't want to follow him for their words, for his words. They wanted a show. It was not a sincere faith. And I suppose this kind of shallow welcome that lacks true honor for Christ is found even in the world today. I remember going to a church uh, a few years ago and it was a, uh, a Saturday evening service. And I walked in, and to my surprise, uh, the band was playing, and the pastor gets up and says, what miracle do you need today? Do you have a relationship that needs to be fixed? Jesus can fix it. Do you need healing? Jesus will heal you. And he goes on and on, just speaking to the signs and the wonders that Jesus can bring but not paying attention to the words. There are many motivations for giving Christ a welcome, but very few that are true and proper that actually give him honor. What honors Christ is a sincere faith that hears him for his words and isn't for, in it for the show, a sincere faith in his word of promise. There are and many people in this world today that will gladly welcome Jesus, who can boost their self-confidence, who can give them a sense of community, and that they come to Jesus and welcome him because he can just be a rubber stamp to everything they care about in life. But the second that he speaks hard words to them, they will turn away because they're in it for the show. 
They're not in it for sincere reasons. And I wonder if Christ came to your home today, would he find this kind of welcome? Or would he find true honor that listens to his every word and hangs its very own life upon his words? Well, we see the spiritual diagnosis of those who seek after signs. They lack a true, sincere faith. Uh, But John is quick to set by way of contrast uh, the faith of this nobleman, this official, who did sincerely believe in Christ because he was driven by a need. He was driven by a need. And so what we want to turn to now is a needy faith that we see from this passage. A couple years ago, there was a gut-wrenching story that uh, took the attention of uh, most people by way of the media. And it was a, a story about a family who lived in the UK uh, who had a child that was dying of severe epilepsy. And this child was on a ventilation system, uh, on life support for about a year. And uh, the, the doctors had decided that there was nothing more that they could do, and that there was no reason to try to spare this child because this child was going to die. And you can imagine the horror that this brought to the parents. It couldn't be anything worse than hearing uh, that there's nothing more we can do for your child. And you might know the story that uh, these parents went uh, to the court to try to grant, uh, get a court order to have the child trans, uh, transferred to Italy to do an experimental uh, surgery, but it was denied. And so they went to the media trying to get attention. They were desperate to save their little uh, baby boy. And I'm sure some of you could relate to that sense of desperation over your children. Uh, Certainly this man, this official, could relate uh, with such desperation. Look at verses 46 and 47. Uh, So he came to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So here is an official, likely an official in the service of King Herod, who had all the resources at his disposal. It wasn't for lack of resources and connections that this man was suffering. He was likely a wealthy man. He was in the upper ranks of society by his status in the Roman Empire, and yet he was afflicted with that most painful affliction that any parent could feel, uh, the gut-wrenching prospects of losing a child. Uh, one old minister said this, that some crosses drive men to Christ, especially those that are in their children. This was the cross that subdued Egypt, and to great men such as this ruler, who have much to leave to their children, this cross is the greatest. Uh, the, the looming death of his child was the affliction that drove him to seek out an obscure miracle worker in Galilee, and that he had obviously heard that this man had turned water into wine, and he knew that uh, there was nothing else he could do for his child. He had to give this a chance. He had to go to this man who could heal. But notice what Jesus says to him. In verse 48, he stops him and says, So Jesus said to him, 
Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. At one level, he is dealing with the crowds. They're probably sitting there thinking, oh, look, we're about to have a great show before us this day. Uh, Certainly, Jesus could not turn this man down. Uh, Certainly, he could not uh, turn a blind eye to his suffering. He had to respond. So it looks like, boys, that we're going to get a show tonight. Jesus wanted to respond to that, of course, saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But I think he's pressing this man, drawing out his faith, showing to him his great need for him. He is showing this official that no more is he a great Roman nobleman, but he is just a needy sinner, sick and sore, coming to the one who can actually make a difference. So Jesus is pressing him, giving him an opportunity to allow his faith to speak. And don't you love the persistence of this man in verse 49? The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Such a sincere need. Jesus, my son is about to die. Come down, heal him. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to beg forever. Sir, come down. My son is about to die. And sometimes it is those shortest prayers that are the mightiest prayers. It's often said, if you've ever been to a a Sunday evening prayer meeting, that our prayers should be bold, and that they should be brief, and that they should be biblical. I think you have all three elements here. He's bold. He says to Jesus, sir, come down. Come down. My child's ill. He's brief. Notice how few words he uses. And because it's in the Bible, it's biblical. And so we have a bold, a brief, a biblical prayer driven by the need that this man had for Jesus Christ. So it's a sincere faith. It's a needy faith. And then lastly, we want to turn to a growing faith. I heard a story recently from a minister who Uh, was speaking with someone in his uh, congregation and uh, he was looking at his Bible and he he had noticed that there was an acronym all throughout his Bible uh, that was on almost every single page. And he saw next to verses, it said TNT. And uh, for some of you, maybe the song comes into your mind, but at least for the minister, he he had to ask, what what is uh, this that you have all throughout your Bible? Uh, What does this mean? And uh, the man, you can imagine he's, he was a southern man, so you can appreciate his simplicity. He said, well, those are the verses that I have tried and found true. Uh, tried and true are these verses. And what the man was writing next to each verse in the Bible, that was simply that he had tried Jesus out. He had placed his faith in him, and he had found that Jesus never disappoints that he never puts to shame. This is a truth that we often see throughout Scripture, that the more that we trust in Christ, the more he proves himself over and over. The more you stand upon his promises, the more you find him to be steadfast for you. And this is a truth that the official grows in as he trusts in Christ. Glance down to verse 50. Jesus 
said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. What an answer to prayer. Uh, He asked Jesus to come down, and all Jesus said, Go, go, your son will live. You don't need to wait around here anymore. Go see your son. He's alive. He's well. But what words of comfort. Words that he had never heard from a doctor. That his son would live. He had gone from likely to every physician he possibly could to heal his son. And yet here is a man who simply utters words. Go. Your son will live. And so it says that the man's response is that he believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. No questions. He believed. He went on his way. And so he here is trying Jesus. He is giving him consideration by faith. But look at how he finds him wholly true in verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the good news comes by way of his servants, that his son is alive, and that he had miraculously recovered. But what I love most about this official, and that I find the most endearing, is that he asks. He asks, what time did he get better? Why did he ask that question? He already knew. It was when Jesus spoke that word of life. But why would he ask? I think he is using this, storing this up in his own heart, treasuring it, because he knows that when that servant answers, it's going to give him complete confidence that it was Jesus Christ who healed his little baby boy. He wanted to supplement his faith. He wanted to strengthen it because he knew that when he had heard those words, his heart would be strangely warmed that Jesus Christ did this and that he is the one who can heal. He is the great physician. And I wonder if you've ever strengthened yourself by uh, an answer to prayer like this and that you've stored it up in your hearts that the Lord has answered this prayer. It's quite easy to pray to the Lord and ask for his blessings and then to forget Uh, to uh, simply go on in life, or maybe even doubt. Maybe it was just coincidence that this answer to prayer happened. Maybe it was something else. But the official, he wanted absolute certainty that the Lord was working in his life and that he had uh, brought this healing. And so look down to verse 53 and 54. The father knew that was the hour that when Jesus had said to him, your son Will live, and he himself believed in all his household. This now was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So when the father finds out that Jesus' word was true, it says he himself believed. Now, he believed on his way down from Galilee. Doesn't it say that in verse 15 or 50 that the man believed? the word of Jesus, and yet here again it says, he believed. He himself believed. He came to Jesus at first with a need, a great need, the need of healing. But I think what John wants to show you is that he went home 
with the Savior. And that it was a faith that grew from one degree of glory to another. That yes, it may have been small, it may have been immature when he had come to Christ at first, but once Christ proved himself to him, it took off, it grew. It says he himself believed. But what a legacy he passes on to his household. It says that not only did he believe, but his entire household believed. I can imagine this now, the father going around the household saying, our baby boy, he's healed because Jesus of Nazareth healed him. Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah healed him. Don't you believe it? Don't you find him true? I could see him doing this in his household, sharing the good news with all those around him saying, I tried Jesus and found him wholly true. Won't you? It's clear that his children, his wife, servants believed because they knew how sick that boy was, that he had recovered miraculously. And parents, I hope you know the significance of that same legacy that you pass on to your children. That it's such a blessing for these kids, for your children to hear consistently, I've tried Jesus, I've trusted in his promises, I've found them true for me. What a wonderful thing it is for your children to hear that consistently, and that Jesus is trustworthy, and that he is worth believing your entire lives into. Well, as we begin to close, I want to be like John and draw your attention to three more aspects of saving faith from this text that largely align with what we've already uncovered. But first, I want you to see that true faith seeks the Savior. In the old monasteries, it was common that the first question aspiring monastics would be confronted with as they entered upon the gates was this question, what do you seek? What do you seek? Why are you coming? Why are you here? I think that's a question that John puts before everyone who would read his gospel. What are you seeking? Are you seeking signs, miracles? Are you seeking a savior? The official sought out Jesus as the only one who could give him what he needed. But he found him to be far more than he ever dared imagine or asked. He found a savior, a savior who deals with the greatest infirmity and disease that all of us face, the disease of sin, the disease of our penalty under the wrath of God. That's what this official found in Jesus Christ. I hope you have found that. I hope you come each and every Lord's Day to hear his preaching because you want to hear the prophetic Christ, the Savior of sinners as set before you. And if you're in here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I'm glad you're here because Christ is seeking you out this day. I pray that you would come to him by faith and that you would seek a savior because that is your greatest need. It's a need greater than all of your relational problems, all the problems you observe in this world. You need a savior and Jesus can be that for you. True faith 
seeks the Savior. True faith is satisfied with his word. The crowds follow Jesus in this passage for signs and wonders, but believers follow him because of the power of his word. I hope you noticed, even at the end of last week's text, how different the Samaritans were than the Galileans. In verse 41, it says about these Samaritans, and many more believed because of his word. But then Jesus comes to his own people who received him not, who wanted the signs, they wanted the miracles, they wanted to be impressed, they wanted to be amazed, and his word does not penetrate their hard, cold hearts. But believers are different. You can notice with this official who does have faith, it says that he believed Jesus because of his word. He believed his word. It was his word that did the work. And that's what is so amazing about this miracle. Jesus didn't have to go perform. He didn't have to give some kind of dramatic display of his power. All he had to do was give a simple word. Go. Go. Your son will live. He didn't need to resort to the show. But rather he could give that simple word. Go. Your son will live. And that's the truth that is presented to us. And that we should be satisfied with his word. Because it's his word that spoke the universe into existence. It's his word that uh, speaks to you this day. I forgive you for your sins. And it's his word that one day will raise you up with Christ in glory. One simple word. How much more should we love and come to his scriptures? And that is the everlasting and immortal word of God. And true faith is satisfied with his word. And then finally, true faith shall turn to sight. And most nights before bed, I'm reading through the autobiography and descriptions of Thomas Boston's life, who was a minister in in the 18th century in Scotland. And uh, it's a, a wonderful book, but uh, probably my favorite line so far that I've read, it didn't even come from Thomas Boston. It was uh, from one of his ruling elders uh, in his church that was on his deathbed. And death was approaching quickly. And, and Boston wrote uh, this about the whole encounter that I find so profound. On Thursday, de- on Thursday death approached him fast. And he died that day. His brother saw him alive, but unable to speak. And he was buried on that Friday afternoon. He died in hopes of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Among his last words were, Farewell, sun, moon, and stars. Farewell, dear minister. And farewell, the Bible. What an expression of faith. And that he looks even through the temporary means of grace that God has given to all of us in this life. And he saw the substance that on that closing night, he would go to a land where the Bible itself was not needed. That his faith would grow to such a degree of glory and of fullness, completeness, that it would turn to sight. And that's what our eternal hope is. When we grow In the faith, we are taking hold of Jesus Christ. And one day, that faith will turn to sight. I hope you have that kind of hope. 
I hope you can go home with that kind of hope. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have given us in your word the oracles of life and that by having these oracles set before us, we can have our faith all the more confirmed and strengthened and built up. Lord, would we grow in faith. Lord, help us to see Jesus even in this day. May we give him more honor and reverence for the word that he speaks to us. And we pray this in Christ's name.